Exodus 20 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to ask and answer the question, who's number one? I brought my prop. Yeah. Who's number one? It says Yahweh, if you can't read it. And by the way, um, you can't really stick your fingers in here. It's just like open and uh, really not cool. But uh, we're going to talk about who's number one. And so uh, I hope that kind of piques your interest. All right, so... We started this series last week with an overview, so if you missed last week, not a big deal, but let me sort of uh, give you a thumbnail of what happened last week. The Israelites are enslaved for over 400 years, 430 years, something like that, which means generation after generation after generation, they are slaves. So after a while, you don't know anything but slavery. Your mama was a slave, your grandmama was a slave, your great-grandma, everybody was a slave. And so you have no notion of what it means to be free. And so God delivers these people from Egypt, and all of a sudden He says, all right, here are some rules to live free. Now, uh, we often maybe misunderstand that rules are to, to you know, uh, hem us in or uh, to prohibit our freedom. But in all reality, f- rules free us up. And so God loves His people and He wanted to give them these rules. Now, there are rules that we don't even know about. And, and I, I came up with an illustration. I, I'm going to ask if anybody knows what this is. It's called the rule of ablaut reduplication. I can't hardly even read it. Ablaut reduplication. If anybody knows what it is, raise your hand real high. A bunch of dullards we are. Okay, great. All right, so I had never heard of it, but you're going to recognize it. It's a rule. You just don't know it's a rule. And you've never known it was a rule. There's a reason we say things like, we don't call, we don't call it hop-hip music. We call it hip-hop music. I don't call it anything. But uh, uh, there's a reason we, we do hip-hop instead of hop-hip. There's a reason we say things like, if the doorbell rings, it, it goes... Ding-dong, not dong-ding. There, there's a reason for that. It's this rule. And the rule is basically that it's always I-A-O. If, if you have a word and you're just changing a vowel, it goes in this order. So, you don't flop-flip, you flip-flop. It, it, it always happens. It happens every time. It's a rule that you didn't know you were using but that you use. You don't hear the patter-pitter of little feet, you hear the pitter-patter of little feet. It's the rule of ablat reduplication. There are rules that sometimes you don't know you're obeying, and then there are rules sometimes you don't even know they're rules, but you're supposed to obey them. So Elise is playing uh, a basketball game on Friday, and uh, I, there was a rule. Now, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I have watched millions of basketball games. I have sat through millions of basketball games. I mean, if you get into heaven for sitting through bad basketball, I am getting to stand beside Jesus. I mean, I have I've been to so many bad basketball games. So, at least the ball gets knocked out of bounds, so you have to throw it in where it got when it went out. She threw the ball in and ran up the baseline, out of bounds, up the baseline and went, came in and she got a technical. My sweet little daughter well, I will tell you the truth. I asked the official if he'd like to step outside and discuss. 
his call on sweet little Elise. I didn't really do that. Um, but evidently, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a foul. Who, I didn't even know that was a, 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 a rule. Sometimes there are rules you don't even know they're there. Now, um, we have a tendency to say to God, you're not the boss of me. And we've said it, we probably all thought it. But there are rules that sort of govern the world. Um, so God has these universal laws that kind of keep things in order. One of them is gravity. Gravity always works. It just always works. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. It just works. I don't understand it. I know it has something to do with you know, the spinning on the orbit and all that kind of thing. I know it has something to do with that. I just know that when I, uh, when I miss a step on a ladder, I don't fall up. I always fall down. Uh, just how it works that way every time. And knowing that, you adjust. So I've got some friends here today, and they've uh, recently had an accident, and so they, they uh, are uh, using a, a cane or a walker because the rule of gravity will affect them negatively if they don't. We, we learn to adjust our behavior to the rules. Because uh, just because you had an accident, I mean, their accident wasn't their fault. It, it wasn't their fault. It's not their fault. But they still have to live with the consequences of the rule of gravity. Man, they're having a good time back yonder. Uh, they still, I wish we were there. You know, what are they teaching? Like, uh, they're not talking about Ablat stuff. I'll tell you that. Okay. <clears throat> now, God has also given us spiritual laws that keep life in order. So, so the Ten Commandments help us, kind of give us guardrails. Uh, psychiatrists are finding with baby boomers, people born in the 60s. Uh, the baby boomers were sort of the first generation that didn't have a lot of parameters. Uh, parenting became much looser, um, kind of you know, do your own thing. The problem that they're finding with, with baby boomers now is that they're extremely insecure because they didn't have boundaries. And that, that's not helpful to us. And so God gives us these boundaries. And it looks like this. I am the Lord your God. He starts out with a very, you know, kind of, he, he starts out with this statement. And we'll get to that in just a second. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so the principle is this, and I think this is on your outline. Put God first in everything you do. In everything you do. So, with every principle in Scripture, there's a promise. God will say, hey, if you do this... I'm going to do that. It's almost like a little bit of a contract in some of this. But there's a principle. The principle here is, if I put God first, I'm going to give you the promise in just a second, but uh, putting God first in your life it just makes a lot of sense. And so he says, have no other gods before me. Well, a lot of good things can be gods. By the way, let's go back to the verse just for a second. Uh, the word gods there on the bottom line is a small g. It's a small g god. So, can a career be your God? Well, it is with some people. I mean, they make, and it might be with some of you, I don't know. But you can get so uh, enamored with your job that you have a tendency to, to kind of worship it. This is my thing. Uh, can a hobby be your God? Well, sure. I mean, uh, fishing or golf or um, uh, uh, cooking or shopping. or I mean, there are people who get addicted to all these things. 
I mean, you can get addicted to shopping, and all this stuff can be addictive to you. You can be, uh, another person could be your God. It could be your kids, it could be your spouse, it could be a, a political candidate. I mean, there's a lot of people that can be um, your God. Clemson football could be your God. Not South Carolina football, uh, but um, Clemson football. That's, that's mean. That's so mean. I didn't want to say it. I really didn't. But it's in my notes. Uh, so, what do you do? What do you do? So, even the good things God gives us for our enjoyment, if we carry them too far, can be a God. Uh, look at this picture. It's a bridge. You all probably know this bridge. Y'all know this bridge? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> in Charleston, right? What's it called? The Ravenel Bridge. There it is. Beautiful picture. I like the way the sun's right in the middle of that little V. It's very cool. Now, it's a beautiful bridge, but we don't drive on it because of its beauty so much as we drive on it because we feel that it's safe. I did a little research on this. I think it's interesting. The Ravenel Bridge was built to withstand 300 mile per hour hurricane force winds. I've never personally experienced a 300 mile an hour wind, but if I ever do, I want to be on that bridge because uh, it is built to withstand it. Uh, it's built to withstand a 7.4 Richter scale earthquake. It is built to withstand that. Now, the way it was built to withstand that is it has pilings that were driven down into it's in the mud and the muck. It goes 230 feet down. They, I don't know, had a form or something, but anyway, they poured concrete and they made pylons that you could withstand that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, weather events, those kinds of events. Now, they poured them not because they were glamorous. You don't pour 230 feet down where nobody sees it for any other reason than you want it to be safe. And, and so the point is, a great foundation equals a great bridge. But it's also the same way with your life. A great foundation built on God's principles. When God says, uh, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me, He is making an offer. He, he is saying, if we're in a relationship, you don't have to be, but if we are, then there's a blessing that's coming. In fact, the principle is put God first in everything you do. The promise is He'll direct and bless your life. Now, let me call time out just for a second. Because a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I follow God, but bad things happen. I, I'm not saying that bad things won't happen. Sometimes God grows us through difficulty. In fact, oftentimes He does. And God has a purpose for your life, and sometimes the purpose, uh, oftentimes the purpose will include some difficulty. It'll stretch us and cause us to grow. And, and get better and that kind of thing. But the principle is, hey, uh, if we have a relationship, and that's why he starts like this, I am the Lord your God. It is a statement of truth. I'm the Lord your God. And then he says, hey, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. You didn't bring yourselves out of Egypt. You're slaves, for goodness sakes. And uh, Pharaoh didn't have a change of heart and say, oh, you guys could just go. In fact, he tried not to let you go. So it, it wasn't, uh, you know, a random act of kindness that got you out. It, it wasn't uh, dumb luck that got you out of Egypt. It wasn't the, uh, you being uh, innovative enough to get yourself out of Egypt. Uh, 
God is saying, look, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, I have the rights to give you some guidance about life. And when it says no other God, small g, it's really important. Because Egypt had lots of gods. All the Israelites had known at the time were lots of gods. It's called polytheism. Poly means many. The theos is gods. Many gods. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Egyptians had a god for um, the Nile. His name was Hapi, H-A-P-I, or Happy, I don't know, Happy the God. Uh, so, interestingly enough, every one of the plagues sort of attacked one of the Egyptian gods. So, the, the Nile, the Hapi god, uh, was the god of the Nile, well, the Nile turned to blood. Uh, the Egyptians had a god called Heket, H-E-K-E-T. It was a god with a frog face, and one of the plagues was frogs. Isis was the god of medicine, and yet one of the plagues was boils on uh, people's bodies. Uh, Newt was the god of the sky, and yet one of the plagues was hail raining down from the sky. Ra, Ra is the sun god of the Egyptians, the god of the sun, and yet one of the plagues was darkness. Amon was the god of livestock, and yet one of the plagues was the killing of the livestock. And so the Israelites saw that when God says, I am the Lord your God, He is superior to all other gods. And, and so the principle is, devotion to God is the foundation of our moral code. There's a reason we do what we do. Uh, we, we are moral because we have a moral law giver. Now, we're kind of getting away from that in our country, and the Western societies, by and large, are kind of getting away from it, actually. It's almost as if we've climbed the ladder. I mean, we do certain things because there are Christian principles behind it. You might not even be a Christian, and you, you still adhere to these things. Let me give you an example. One of the things that we innately know is that it's wrong to abuse or uh, treat poorly people who can't defend themselves. We know that. But that's not always been the way. I mean, that's, that's a Judeo-Christian sort of ideology, idea. It, it's not common. In fact, in, in certain cultures, there was a historian by the name of Tom Holland. And from what I un understand, is he Batman or Superman or something? Oh, Noah, you'll know this. Spider-Man. I knew it was one of those men. Okay, um, not that one. Uh, some other guy named Tom Holland. Um, he wrote this really interesting article. And, and the article was, uh, the title was, I was wrong about Christianity. And he, he goes to explain, he used to go to you know, Sunday school, heard all the Sunday school stories and that kind of thing. And he started to doubt. I don't know if this is right. I'm not sure this is true. You know, that kind of thing. And so he said, basically well, maybe I'm not Christian. Maybe I have gotten my moral code from other cultures, the Romans or other people. And so he begins to study. He's a historian after all. He starts to study history. And he starts with the Spartans. The Spartans had a leader by the name of uh, Leonidas. And, and what he discovers is Leonidas, well, they, uh, they performed something called eugenics. They just killed people they didn't like. Like, well, I don't believe that's good. And then he studied the Caesars. So all the Caesars, well, they were great at killing people, the Gauls mainly, and enslaving them. 
And, and he comes to this conclusion, and I think it's interesting. He says, today, even as belief in God fades from the West, that's us, by the way, the, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom, they continue still to bear the stamp of Christianity. It is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. We live by this moral code. And it's because we have a moral law giver. Now, I was doing some research on, on, on law. There are some really weird laws. And I, you probably have heard some of these before, but I, I thought I would share. Because I know some of you travel. If any of you travel to Washington State, there's a law there that you need to know about. It is a felony, not a misdemeanor, it is a felony to harass Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So if you go to Washington, don't do that, okay? In Tennessee, Tennessee, our neighboring state, did we touch Tennessee? Are you sure? I'd like to see some evidence of that. I, I, I think we do. Um, I think Tennessee would like to you know, be close to us. Anyway, in Tennessee, it's illegal to share your Netflix password. You can still marry your cousin, uh, but you can't. See, y'all shouldn't have beat us on Tuesday. Uh, that was wrong. That's payback. In South Carolina, horses may not be kept in bathtubs, so stop that. Uh, okay. In South Dakota, I like this one, it's illegal to sleep in a cheese factory. Oh, who wants to? So, uh, all right, this next one just makes me giggle, and I don't even exactly know why. Brian, you can answer this one for me. In Ohio, it's illegal to get fish drunk. Why would that be? Uh, I think that's right. Okay. Uh, can't get fish drunk. Um, there's got to be a story. In Missouri, it's, Ill <laughs> uh, it's illegal to drive with an uncaged bear. Uh, so, I think that's bear. Maybe it's beer. Uh, anyway, anyway. And another, my last one. In Georgia, it's illegal to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. Every other day, it's okay, but not on Sunday. Now, we obey certain laws because they are given to us by some authority. Now, some of these don't make any sense, and who knows? I'm, you know, if I see Sasquatch, I'm harassing him. Uh, I don't care what they say. But uh, it, we have these laws, and we keep them mostly because somebody in authority has given them to us. Well, at least the Ten Commandments make sense. And so God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other God before me. He is saying, he's reminding them, look, I'm your deliverer. I have authority to tell you what to do. You can trust me, is what he's saying. Because you guys, you used to be slaves and now you're not. I mean, I've already proven I'm reliable and trustworthy. I've given you reason and he's given us reason to believe that he knows what he's talking about. Now, the word gods is plural, you'll notice, and I've already mentioned some of the Egyptian gods, and what the Israelites would do is called syncretism. 
syncretism. Uh, not to be confused with the police album, Syncreticity. Uh, so, syncretism. Uh, two of you got that, and I appreciate it. All right, syncretism. That's when you, you like Yahweh, okay? Yahweh is number, well, no. He's in the conversation. He's not really number one. He's just one of many. <laughs> I like Yahweh, but I also like, ugh, I like, I like Yahweh, but I like others, right? And, and the, the Israelites would do that often. They would fall into, well, we still kind of like God, but <laughs> we like Dagon too, or we like Molech too, or we like, there are all these names of these other gods. We like these other gods too. And, and so they had a problem with syncretism. And sometimes we have a problem with syncretism. And there is a foundational verse that you know. Let me go back. Yeah, that you know, and we gloss over this, or we, we fly through it. But the very first verse in the Bible is a theological statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is a theological statement. Remember, polytheism is many gods. This is saying there is one God. Mono, one, mono, mono, one, God. There's one God. It starts at the very first verse. And throughout the scripture, there is this argument, hey, you have to choose who you'll serve. Joshua, who's this great military leader, they're about to enter, the Israelites are about, they've been wandering the wilderness 40 years, they're about to enter the promised land, and he says, choose you this day who you'll serve. You can serve the gods of the Egyptians, or you can serve God, but you can't do both. Can't do both. You have uh, Elijah on the mountain, and he's uh, confronted with 800 prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, and he, he's uh, defeating them, and, and he says to the people, hey, you got to choose. It's, it's those gods or it's God. It, it is one or the other, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Biblical faith is an either-or proposition. It's either God or something else. It can't be God and something else. I used to play a game called Trivial Pursuit. Anybody ever play that? Very trivial, this game. You had a little pie piece, had a pie, and you put pieces in there. You'd ask for questions, and they had categories of the questions, right? And there was a history category and sports and, I don't know, I don't remember it. But anyway, um, and so you'd put a little piece in your pie. And a lot of us treat our life like a, a pie, and we have a God piece, and we like a God piece, but we also want other pieces. And what this commandment is saying is, I'm the pie, I'm all of it. I'm first in everything you do. Because we like to put God first in maybe on Sunday for an hour. That's cool. Glad you're here, by the way. But when it, go, when it comes to work, well, that's a different piece. And I'm not going to put God first in that. And I'm not going to put God in this relationship. And I'm not going to put God first in this. And I'm not going to put God first in this. I have a God piece. He's, he's in the mix. He's just not everything. And 
Biblical faith is an either-or proposition. Because the first commandment mandates a certain relationship. We are going to be exclusive. When the verse says, have no other God before me, it literally means have no other God before my face. And I read this illustration and I thought it's perfect. Husbands, tell me how you'd feel if this happened to you. You're at home and your wife is out and she comes in and she brings in another man with her. You're at the kitchen table and she says, oh honey, I'm so glad you're here. I want to introduce you to someone. He's ruddy and handsome, and I like him a lot, and I'm going to be spending time with him. I'm also going to be spending time with you. I don't love you any less. I just like him too. And I might spend more time with you, but there are going to be some nights I spend time with him. That's nothing against you. I just like him too. I'm sure you'll be great friends. And every man in here that's a husband is going, uh, I don't think so. And we all, I mean, you, every one of you is like, you bowing up. It's like, I'm just the messenger, bro. Uh, but you're bowing up. <laughs> Y'all mad at me? It's like, it's just an illustration. Uh, but you would say to your wife, and your wife would expect you to say, no, it's, it's me or it's him. It's me or it's him. You're going to have to choose today. And God is a jealous God. Not in a negative way. In fact, the Scripture says this. He's a jealous God. Not negative. He has a, a, a provider. He loves us. He gave His Son for us. He deserves an exclusive relationship. When I do weddings, there are vows. And the vows go something like, you know, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, in sickness and in health, richer for poor? Uh, do you promise forsaking all others? It's a very key line. Forsaking all others to cling only unto Him so long as you both shall live. Now, in premarital counseling, if I were to have a couple and they were to say, you know, Pastor, we like most of those words, but we don't like the forsaking all others thing. Can you leave that out? I would have to say, well, now listen. I can't leave that out because that's integral to the vows. You're going to stay for richer, for poor. Richer, by the way, is easier. Uh, sickness and health. Health is easier, but... What you're saying is it doesn't matter the circumstance. I'm going, I'm I'm committed, I'm devoted. See, love is in the first commandment. I want you to love me to the degree that you have no others in your life. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This was something um, the Israelites they loved this. They they copied this down. They had little places that they would put this on their doorposts. They would carry this with them because this was a reminder. See, I wear a reminder of a commitment that I made, a vow that I was given and I gave. I'm reminded. Well, the Jews were reminded. 
And it, and it was this. They would say this over and over. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our, is our God, the Lord alone. Nobody else. We, we're in an exclusive relationship. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. It, it is... Love is an affection, but it's also a decision. You decide. And, and so the first commandment is there for a reason because it sets a foundation. If I serve God alone, the other things I can do because He's got all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. The word all is really important. It, it really doesn't say love the Lord your God with part, most, some. It's all. God is saying, I want an exclusive relationship with you. Remember when you finally went steady with somebody? Mm. Going steady. You know what going steady in high school means? Nothing. Uh, it means nothing. I found that out the hard way. Uh, nothing. But when you have a ceremony and when you make a commitment public before God and man, it means something. It means something. And God is saying, I want all of you because I'm giving you all of me. That, that, that's the commitment He's asking for. Now, when we do, how will it show? Let me, let me give you three or four little things real fast. It'll show in our finances. When I start to mention finances, sometimes people zone out, so listen to me because I'm not asking for money. I'm just telling you how it works. I have a wife, look at the verse here, honor the Lord your, with your wealth, first fruits, first fruits of all your crops of what you have. I have a wife that I enjoy getting gifts from. Uh, you know, I know you thought I was going to say giving gifts too. That's stupid. Uh, I like getting stuff. Part of an expression of our love for people is the giving of things. Just how it works. We just had Valentine's Day, some made-up holiday, uh, to get money out of your pocket to give to somebody else. Um, you give flowers. See, they strategically planted in February so you can't go pick some out of your neighbor's yard. Uh, you have to buy them from somebody up at the store. Uh, so, gift giving. So when it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, it, it has to do with, okay, uh, I, I'm going to be a giver to the one I love. And really, if you love somebody, it's easy to give. I, I love our church. We are so generous. We, as a church, decided a few years ago that we are going to tithe as a church. So 10% of, of all the, the funds that come into our church, we give away to other missions, organizations, and that sort of thing. We sponsor four church plants, one in Salt Lake City, three here uh, in South Carolina, one down in the backstrap, one someplace else, Piedmont. Um, Salt Lake City one, we not only give them uh, resources, but we go out and help 
Hopefully we can uh, go to a couple other of our uh, churches and help. So we want to be givers. That's what we want to do. We, we help sponsor other missions organizations around. You, you model what you believe. And, and so we, we, we give. We, uh, when we put God first, we also put Him first in our interests. So if you eat or drink or whatever you do, uh, do everything to honor God. And so you do it with an attitude of gratitude. For some of you, you're new and you might not know this. I have four daughters. Uh, Elise still lives with us. She's 15. I have three daughters that are grown and away. Two of them are married. My tribe continues to increase. I mean, there's always somebody new, it seems like. And uh, when I go out to eat, when I go out to eat with all the family, um, there's an expectation of who's going to pay for that. That would be me. And I'm glad to do it. It's, it's awesome. You have them all together? Good grief. And I say, get anything you want, as long as it's cheap. Uh, uh, I've got sons-in-laws that can eat. I have never seen anything like it. Um, I'm about to disown them. I mean, good grief. You all know what leftovers are? I don't either when they're home. I mean, they eat everything. They're like a plague of locusts uh, through my house. Oh, I hope they don't watch this. Oh, uh, and I love them very much. Everything you do, everything you do can be to the glory of God. So some of you are campers. You like to camp. I don't get it. Why? Uh, uh, how does that make any sense? But you love it. You go camping. You make your little fire. You have a little house that, on wheels that you bring with you. Uh, by the way, that's not camping, uh, but that's okay. Uh, for me, real camping is you go out there and you rub two sticks together. Now that is camping. Kill your own food. I mean, that's cool. You, you skin it and gut it. Uh, throw the fish. Throw it to the fish. Uh, anyway. You, you like that. That's your thing. Good on you, man. Do everything to honor God. Some of you are dog people. You love dogs. Not my thing. It's okay. You love them. Some of you are cat people. <laughs> you need to repent. Uh, <laughs> no, you, that's good. It's cool. It's good for you. It's good for you. You should love those cats. It's good. I have a daughter with a cat. It's all good. They, they, they like it. her name. The cat's name is Muesli. It's like it's, like it's a, a, a medicine. Uh, it's all good. I sure hope they don't watch. Uh, really, I am so much trouble. Which brings me to the next point. Uh, we can honor God in relationships. Relationships. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he really is like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Wow, that is a powerful verse. I have walked uh, this road of life long enough to see a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people get in with the wrong crowd and make mistakes that they... the, the consequences of which they are still living with. My dad was a wise man. And he used to say to me when I was a, a boy... Bad company corrupts good character. If I ever get a tattoo, that's my tattoo. Because I heard it a million times. And what Daddy was saying is, watch who you hang out with. I'm not talking about associate with. I'm talking about watch who you hang out with. We had a 
when I was a youth pastor, we had a, a young lady in our group, and she was sweet. We had her babysit our oldest daughter. Um, we had an affection for her. And then she started dating a boy who didn't have the same values she had. And we watched her innocence melt away. We watched her. It was, it was like you're in a boat and she's in the water and she's adrift and she's getting further and further. And you throw the rope and she ignores the rope. I've lived long enough to see it. We honor God in our relationships. We honor God with our schedules. Be careful then how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I have an app on my phone. It's called Todoist. I schedule on my phone every morning a time with God. It's not very spiritual. I mean, you're probably thinking, well... That dude ought to just you know, wake up and want to be with God. Well, I schedule it because I just it helps me. And I need that. I need that. And I like to check off boxes. And so I'll wake up, look at my to-do list. It's like top of the list. Uh, read your Bible and pray. It's like, I'm going to check that box off. Some days, this is shocking. Some days, as a pastor, I don't feel like doing that. But there's a box. And I do it. And it's a discipline. Some days I don't get as much out of it as I do others. Some days it is glorious. But there's a discipline to it. And you do it because it's a discipline. And I want my relationship to be right. And I want my schedule to be right. And I want my finances to be right. And I want all my interests to be right. And so I want to spend time with God. See, Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus had this way. Um, great musicians can do this. It's called transposing music. And so, if the music is written in the key of C, but I want to sing it in the key of D? Is that something? Chris? Z? Uh, uh, That's not something. Lying to me. <laughs> Fibbers. I, did, I think I did it first service, C and A. I think that worked. All right, so it's C, and I want to sing it lower, lower, and A. Great musicians can look at the music and just transpose it. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to abolish. I came to transpose. To show you what it looks like. I came to show you what it looks like. See, on Mount Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, He says, worship me alone. But then there was another mountain. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes and He meets with God, and God says, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. And the Scriptures tell us the Son radiates God's own glory. When we see, in fact, it says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
when we follow Jesus, we follow God. So we end with this question. Is the Lord first in your life? Can you put the foam finger, number one finger, not quite staying the way I wanted to, uh, Yahweh, is, is God your number one? Is God your number one? Here's the deal. He may not be, but He can be. You, you might think, you know, that whole thing about the trivial pursuit, yeah, I've got a couple of pieces that I haven't really given over to Him. That's okay. Give them to Him. T today's the day to make that transposition in your life. You go from, this is how I am, but this is how I want to be, and you change. You can do it with God's help. Let's pray. Father, our ambition is to put You first in our lives. Help us to do that with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. It's a great verse. It reminds us that You are everything and that it is uber cool that You love us so much that You want to be in an exclusive relationship with us. Thank You for that. I pray that You would warm our hearts Pull us to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.